Hey everybody, this is Brian Zond and welcome to the Word of Life Church Sermon Podcast. I'm glad you're interested in what we have to say as we try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you would ever be so inclined to help us financially, you can do that at wolc.com. All right, this morning I want to preach on the risk of becoming Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus began preaching after John the Baptist was arrested and put in prison. John's arrest seems to have been a sign to Jesus that it was time to begin. John the Baptist had completed his task. He had prepared the way. And now it was time for Jesus to take the stage. He was about 30 years old. The first time he preached, it was in Galilee. When I'm in Galilee, I always think about that. I'll be in Galilee and I'll just think, this is where it began. This is where the whole thing started. Jesus preached for the first time in Galilee. And what did he preach on? Well, he preached that Well, he preached the gospel, that is the royal announcement of the kingdom of God. He preached the gospel or the announcement, the proclamation, the good news of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is is the reign of God, the rule of God, the government of God. And Jesus was saying that this kingdom was now breaking into the world. This kingdom, this government, this reign, this rule, this is, this is God's alternative society it comes from heaven. You know, the, the world, the world. I mean, the, the world as it is, the world as it's arranged. There's a better way. And it's the kingdom that comes from God. The kingdom of God is, is, you could say, if you want to use biblical language, it's the opposite of Babylon. Babylon is it's just the way the world is, the way the world is arranged, the way it's structured. That's Babylon, but there is an alternative. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the opposite of Babylon. Or you, it's the opposite of Pharaonic Egypt. Or it's the opposite of Imperial Rome. And it's even the opposite of the monarchy of Israel. This is a new thing that is breaking into the world with Jesus. And so Jesus preaches and he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We might hear it like this. The waiting is over. The reign of God is within reach. 
rethink everything and believe this good news. That's what Jesus is preaching, proclaiming, announcing in Galilee. The call to repent means to rethink everything. That's what it means. Rethink everything in the light of new information. The call to repent or rethink everything uh, first announced by John the Baptist, that was his message too, is now taken up by Jesus. And it's, it's the call to rethink everything that galvanizes opposition to what Jesus is doing and proclaiming. It is the call to repent, that is, to rethink everything that galvanizes opposition to the kingdom of God. Because the rich and the powerful don't want to rethink everything. In fact, they don't want to rethink anything. They're going, what's wrong with it? Seems pretty good to me. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to rethink everything. Oh, and by the way, some who are first will be last and some who are last shall be first. And they said, I think we're against this. And they were. That's why you read about so many people in the New Testament at one point or another end up in jail. Because the powers that be are made nervous by this proclamation of this new kingdom that demands that we rethink everything. Well, after initially announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God, the next thing Jesus does is begin to select 12 disciples. Well, there'll be many disciples. These are These are the 12 that will be the apostles. And it's 12, it's gotta be 12. It's not 11, it's not 13, it's 12 because the 12 tribes of Israel. So after he initially announcing the coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus begins to select 12 disciples to form the foundation of a reimagined, reconstituted Israel. Jesus is gonna remake it, there's gonna be a new Israel. Instead of being based upon ethnicity, circumcision, and Torah observance, this new Israel is going to be based on faith, baptism, and obedience to Jesus as Lord and Christ. So he's selecting his, his 12 that are going to be the foundation for this. And he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He doesn't have any disciples yet. He's just begun to preach. He's announcing time is fulfilled. The waiting's over. The kingdom of God is right there. It's it's within grasp. (laughs) Rethink everything. Believe this good news. But now he, he needs to form a band. He needs 12 disciples. And he sees two brothers, Simon, who we will come to know as Peter, Simon and Andrew, and they are casting a net into the sea for they are fishermen. And Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they do. A little bit later, Jesus sees two more brothers. These are the sons of Zebedee, James and John. They're in the boat with their father. They're mending the nets. They're fishermen too. And Jesus says to James and John, follow me. And they do. They leave their father Zebedee and the boat and they go follow Jesus. Now I want you to notice that Jesus' call 
to these first disciples was not follow me and I will take you. It was follow me and I will make you. Not, not I will take. I'm not gonna, it's not about going somewhere. It's about becoming someone. It's not follow me and I will take you. It's follow me and I'll make you. This, is, this reminds me of, of the phenomenon of modern pilgrimage. Began in the late 20th century, it's only gaining steam in the 21st century. That is people walking some distances to holy places. This, this, this had completely almost died out. But in the late 20th century, now in the 21st, it's had a revival all, all over the world. But it's different. In the past, the pilgrimage, the whole point of the pilgrimage was to get to the holy place. You just walked it because that's the only way you could get there. Now, here in our technological age, you can get to any holy place in the world probably in 24 hours. The point no longer is to get there. The point is to make the journey. And that's very much like what the call to discipleship is. It's not follow me and I will take you. It's follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Be this is what Jesus says. Follow me and I will make you become who you are really supposed to be. But to respond to the call of Jesus involves risk. The risk of becoming. Peter and Andrew have to risk leaving their livelihood. These are not recreational fishermen. These are vocational fishermen. This is their job. This is their paycheck. And when Jesus says, follow me, they have to risk losing their livelihood. James and John have to risk leaving their father, leaving their family. And risks that involve our family and our finances, those are real risks. I mean, you feel that risk. Now, they could have said no to this call from this basically unknown brand new itinerant preacher from Nazareth. They could have said, they could have said, I mean, it would be perfectly legitimate. I could, they could say, I, it's too risky. I can't quit my job. It's too risky. I can't leave my family. They could have said that. Would, would that have been a sin? I, I don't know. I don't think of it like that. I just know they wouldn't have become who they were supposed to become. They, they would have just remained four Galilean fishermen who you would never have heard of. But they didn't say no. They said yes. And that's why every one of you knows a Peter and an Andrew and dozens of James and Johns. They're all named after these people because they took the risk. To really follow Jesus is to embrace the risk of becoming. But I'm not here to tell anyone what risk they ought to take. I want to be really clear on that. That is not my job. My job is not to tell anyone what risk you ought to take. I'm just telling you that risk is part of becoming who you are really meant to be. I can't tell you what that risk is, but I know that it's going to show up at some point. 
I mean, if nothing else, we always have to risk, we always have to risk leaving something behind to follow Jesus in a new way. It's just, that's the way it goes. If you don't leave anything behind, then what's new about it? If nothing else, at some point, you will probably, to stay on the journey, will have to risk the comfort of your settled certitudes. Because, you know, at one point in life, you have all the answers. I'm talking about, you know, things about God, things about theology, how you think about God. There's, a, there's one point where you basically have all the answers. The answers you don't have don't matter. They're not important. You've got all the answers. You've read half a dozen books. You know, you can, you can, you pretty much know, you know, who's in, who's out, what's right, what's wrong, how God is, how God isn't, what God thinks. You know all that. You got the answers. You're, it's comfortable. You're, set, you're settled. You're settled in your certitude. And then one day, out of the blue, the answers don't work anymore. And you begin to think, I don't know if that's a good answer to that. And now you're disturbed. Because all the, the answers that you'd held on for 20 years don't work anymore. Now you have a choice. What do you do? You can pretend that the answers still work or you can take the risk of journeying deeper into the mystery of God where there are very few answers. But God is there. And if you do that, then you definitely, if you do that, then you definitely risk and I speak from experience, my friends, you, de you, you definitely risk being misunderstood and all that goes with that. I mean, being misunderstood is not a fun thing when people are angry because they misunderstand you or disappointed in you or critical of you. That's all, that's all part of the risk. So for Peter and Andrew, the risk of becoming meant leaving their nets. For James and John, the risk of becoming meant leaving their father. And at different times in my journey with Jesus, I've known both risks. I think most of you know, a lot of you know, you know, anniversary of Word of Life Church, November 1st, 1981. It's when we began. 42 years and a couple months ago, November 1st, 1981. Three weeks later, November 22nd, 1981, I was ordained as the pastor of Word of Life Church. Two pastors from St. Louis and one from Cameron, three pastors came and, and laid hands on me and that Sunday morning there was an ordination ceremony. Now, so now I'm officially the pastor of this Brand new little church, Word of Life Church. But it doesn't come with a paycheck. There's, there's, you don't get paid to do this job. There's no money involved. So I have a job. Today we would say bivocational. I just said, I don't get paid to be the pastor, so I got to do something else. <laughs> and I worked at, uh, well, I worked at St. Joseph Hospital, which became Heartland Hospital, which became Mosaic Hospital. Try to keep up. And this was at a time I worked there when St. Joseph Hospital was moving from 10th and Powell to, this is a long time ago, 42 years ago, people, to where it is now, Riverside. 
And it was changed, its name changed. By the way, by the way, do you know why it was called Heartland? Because my father was the chairman of the board of the hospital. And he said, let's change the name to Heartland. And they did. That's why I don't like Mosaic. I like Heartland. But anyway, <laughs> that, was, that was my dad named that. Well, I had a job there. And my job was, uh, I was, how would I put it? I was in charge. That, that's too grand. But I was, I was the guy that was at the new site that, when all the trucks came in. Because, you know, moving a hospital, opening up a new hospital, there's a lot involved. And there were 210 rooms, I remember. And I unloaded all those trucks and I delivered, I delivered every bed, every television, every bit of furniture to all 10, 210 rooms. For years, I, you know, I'd go visit someone in the hospital and i go, I put that bed in here. <laughs> I, put that, I put that TV in here. I did that. I did. Oh, somebody's going to applaud. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes. Okay, so then, then November 23rd, Monday, November 23rd, the day after I've been ordained. My boss, his name is John. I won't tell you his whole name. Ah, his name never John. He says to me, Ryan, uh, you have to work Sundays for a couple of months now. I said, no can do. I'm a pastor. He said, you're not a pastor. I said, I am too. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Well, I don't care what you are. You have to work on Sunday. I said, well, I can't. I'm not asking you. You have to. I can't. I'm a pastor. I can't work on Sundays. Do you understand how church works? You have to. I can't. John said, all right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'll give you till noon to make up your mind. You can either work on Sundays for the next two months or quit. So now I have a choice. Do I quit my job so I can continue to be the pastor of a church that doesn't pay anything? Or not? So what do you do? Well, the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So I went down to the, to the uh, personnel director and I asked if I could use a phone. <laughs> I didn't want to do this, you know, around John. <laughs> He said, yeah, you can, you can use a phone. And so I called every wise person I knew, every sage, every wizened elder, and no one was home. <laughs> no one was home, which actually was providential because if they'd been home, they would have been responsible and given me good advice. And they would have said, no, Brian, what are you thinking? You have a wife. You have a six-month-old baby? You can't just quit your job? But I didn't get that counsel because nobody was home. <laughs> so at noon, I went and told John, I quit. He said, you're not a pastor. You will fail. He was a ray of sunshine. <laughs> I said, well, I quit. And I did. I came home. <laughs> 10th and Lafayette, 1015 Lafayette. Remember that place, Perry? Caddy Corner from the Blue Town Tavern. Drunks would come over and bang on our door in the middle of the night. It was wild down there. I said, Perry, guess what? She said, what? We're in full-time ministry. She cried. And then she dried her tears and we got on with it. Uh, they did set my salary. I did, I did get a salary, actually. I got... 
$90 a week. Well, theoretically. That was my salary. But set at nine. This is, this is the 1980s, not the 1880s. 1980s, my salary was set at $90 a week, but I didn't always get it. You don't know how small and poor this church was. Because it wasn't always there. You know, you had whatever, you had whatever bills we had to pay, we had to pay them. And then if there was $90 left over, I would get that. But as often as not, there wasn't nine. That would be $45. You remember those days. And so, so we learned to live by faith. And we really did. We lived by faith. Um, well, leaving the nets of a reliable paycheck was the risk I had to take to become who I was supposed to be. Because at the end of the day, the story wasn't, you know, Brian's on, he's the guy that put all those beds in that hospital rooms. Actually, I had something else to become. But I had to risk leaving the nets of a reliable paycheck to do that. Now, you can say, well, it worked out. Yes, it did. But as Soren Kierkegaard has observed, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. In other words, my 64-year-old self cannot go back to my 22-year-old self and say, it's going to be all right. Just relax. Don't be afraid. You can't do that. Yeah, I look back and I understand it. But you can't live life backwards. You've got to live it forward. And so there's always these moments of risk. 23 years later, Jesus called me to another risk. It was time to leave Zebedee in his charismatic boat. I was leaving charismatic Zebedee, who, who this, is, this, is my, this is my spiritual family for 30 years. This is, what, this is the world I knew. I didn't know Methodists. I didn't know Catholics. I didn't know Anglicans. I knew Charismatics. It was my spiritual family. But it was time to move on from there. You know, not move on from the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are curious, yes, I still pray in tongues. Yeah. But as a movement... I'm not trying, I'm not interested this, this morning in doing an analysis on it and trying to bring in judgment. I'll just say, the, the Spirit told me it's time to move on. Jesus says, follow me. Yeah, but we've always been in this boat. Not today. Follow me. Yeah, but I, I know this, this Zebedee's here. Follow me. Okay. And I did. And it was risky. In fact, it was actually a whole lot bigger risk than what I'd done 23 years earlier. I mean, if it had all gone bad, I'd have found a job somewhere, probably. <laughs> Don't know what it would have been, but probably. But this was a big risk. Because it was the risk. Here's, here's, what, I was, here's what Jesus was asking me to do, to leave what I had known for 30 years with Zebedee in his charismatic boat and, re and risk becoming something new. I was leaving charismatic Zebedee as my spiritual family that I'd known for 30 years to become something I, to become something new that I didn't even know what it was. 
You you can't be defined by this anymore. Now you have to, what are are we going to become? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't like, well, we've been here, but now we're going to be there. No, it was just like leave here and go. I'm not sure exactly where, but we got to go. He caught the last train out of Monkey Town, bought a ticket on Easter 04 and was eastbound, left a wagon train beamed from outer space, said adios to the obtuse and turned his face towards something he hoped was there. Was it the conductor's last call? With a shudder, he sometimes wonders what would have happened had he missed that train. He fears he'd have shrunk smaller and smaller until he disappeared, not entirely invisible, but totally unrecognizable to who he was supposed to be, the one he still hopes to become. Curiosity may have killed some cat, but not this cat. For this cat, curiosity was a saving grace. Salvation from the dismal fate of the incurious, the last man who invents happiness, or so he thinks, while he sits on his couch with 700 channels and stupidly blinks. That curious cat will tell you age may steal your good luck, your good looks and your jump shot, but don't let it abscond with your curiosity. What's the point of living for a score if you know it all in the first score? Don't sit there until the raven croaks nevermore. A world of wonder lies behind an untried door. Truth is not a laminated card you carry in your pocket. Truth is a long, hard road and you have to walk it. You might as well know it's a toll road too. You will be required to sacrifice your certitude, but that's okay. It's only a small pittance to bid good riddance to a dead end existence. Was it a train he caught or a road he walked? Seems the metaphors got mixed. Oh, well. Whether he hit the road or rode the rails, he thanks God for the grace to bid farewell to the backwaters of Monkey Town for a journey through dark heat to a new dawn of becoming, becoming, becoming. And here's the most important thing, the most important thing. I saved it for last. Whatever risks I've taken in life as a Christian and as a pastor, in truth, it's always been moved toward Jesus. To know Jesus better, to not assume Jesus, but to actually know him and to try to follow him more faithfully. Jesus has been my constant. My my fascination with Jesus has never waned and that fascination has called me to follow in moments of risk. And by the way, when I, when I talk about that I'm fascinated with Jesus Christ, I just I want to be really clear. I don't mean I'm fascinated with the Christ consciousness or the Christ mindfulness or the Christ principle. I mean, I'm fascinated by the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And to follow Jesus... To follow Jesus is to embark upon the risk of becoming. It's the lifelong journey of becoming who you are meant to be. And it's a risky adventure. There will be gains and losses. There will be successes and failures. There will be victories and defeats. 
There are moments when you can walk on water for 10 seconds. And the next moment you're crying out, Lord, save me. And Jesus does save you. But here's the greater truth. As long as you're moving toward Jesus, there's really never any risk at all. Amen. Amen. Stand up with me. Let's come to Jesus by coming to his table. Join with me in first confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, join with me in confessing our sins and receiving the Lord's pardon. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.